see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Good morning, everyone. It's Spit. This is the Spit Podcast where we, David Scales, Scott Bass, we talk all things surfing and occasionally sourdough bread recipes. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. I'm trying to read your hat. The font, the font is so small. The Rolling Youth corporation australia 2004 california 2015 we like to surf <laughs> is that a stab hat it is stab sent me a hat no way for yeah. being a, for being a premium member or for saying such loving things on the podcast for being a premium member i think because well i was one of the first to sign up maybe i don't know they just i didn't ask. they just came in the mail That's and two fun. bars of wax it was kind of cool what kind of wax? Fu wax. The foo. Foo wax. Yeah. Do you like the foo? I don't dislike the foo. I can't say that I can recall a time when I was like, "Oh my god, this foo wax is the best." Well, I'm sure it's, it's great wax. I mean, it's the uh, super sticky, like st- so stringy kind, right? Uh, okay. Is it? I mean, have you used I don't know. it? Okay. I mean, they might they might have different varieties, but that's what. So the foo is from Brazil and it was a lot of surfers on tour would use it as a top coat on top of their regular wax and they'd go to Brazil and stock up. So then somebody here started importing it, somebody in the U S and it was the hottest commodity. It was just like, Oh, do you know somebody who has a bar of foo? Cause all the pros ride it, you know, or the guys doing airs on tour basically are riding it. Mm. And um, now it's a little more accessible. And I don't know if they have a different, formula than just the top coat but that top coat super sticky stuff is uh what everybody wanted but for me it's too sticky like it act it gets on everything you find it on your clothes in the afternoon after you surfed in the morning somehow you know right hmm. so. all right well but now I'll they're just out. now they're just giving it away apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i've got some foo wax so there you go all right cool yeah um What's going on there, bro? I'm Bros. just drinking drinking a cup of tea. Yeah. I noticed I noticed you got a Keen Weber Hayes on the Oolong program. I know. Yeah, I do. He had some Oolong tea. I've been getting some positive feedback about that podcast. I know people said some nice things about uh, your Ian Cairns one too. Cool. Well, um, Normally, we don't have this awkward silence. We're usually, what are you drinking? Well, that's what I was just saying. I'm, I've got Moroccan mint. It, not, come, not oolong, but Moroccan Does it come mint. in a bag? It does, unfortunately. <laughs> that's not tea. Come I on. Know, I know, I know. My mom, oh, my mom's super into tea and always gives me loose leaf, but yeah. I don't like going through the hassle. This is just convenient. You're slothful. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, 7 a.m. recording time. There's, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time to dilly dally before that. Uh, so lots of surf news this week, Scott. Obviously, the yeah. WSL, everybody 
hop that charter flight so we can get into that. There's a couple of surfers who didn't make the charter flight. There was a death in the water at Rencon. We've got Andy Irons and the Radicals in full swing. We got Billy Kemper documentary in full swing. Yeah. Uh, where should we begin? Well, let's start with the WSL, I guess. 36 surfers, uh, 46 family members, 21 staff. So that number is interesting to me. All, all of them are interesting, right? 34 surfers, which, as you mentioned, means two surfers didn't make it. Why don't you give us some insight about the two surfers that opted out of flying to Australia and competing? So Caroline Marks on the women's side tested positive for COVID-19. And my impression, the, the way that it was worded was she didn't make the charter flight as a result of her positive test. So that makes me think that it's open-ended for her competing in the rest of the events in Australia. Um, she's obviously not going to make it to the Newcastle event, but as I understand this virus or this current place that we're at with it, with vaccines and everything else, she can, she now has the virus. She can do the two week quarantine and then travel to Australia and presumably just pick up basically where everybody, I mean, people are literally in a hotel for two weeks there anyways. Now she's in a quarantine situation here for two weeks. She should be cleared to go to Australia after that, right? Yeah, Carolyn Marks strikes me as one that's gonna do everything she can to get over there and, and compete for a world title this year. You know, as, you know, in contrast to the other gentlemen that didn't make the flight, Carolyn Marks is in full competitive mode. So she must be really disappointed in, in that COVID test result. And I could see her dropping in, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and so that's the other thing is traditionally with um, the tour, you're allowed two events that end up not going into your score line. With this abbreviated year, I don't know that they're going to allow that kind of grace room or if the math yeah. even works or maybe yeah, there's just one event but if she does miss an event in theory she could still compete for the or be a contender for the world title yeah you know my my discussion with Ian Cairns about North American surfers I basically posed the question hey do you think that is it just that North American surfers are soft you know like do you ever foresee in the next five years when a North American surfer is going to be a world champion a world title holder and he immediately went to the women, you know, which was sort of like Ian's smooth way of saying, no, I don't think any men are going to do it. But he mentioned Carolyn Marks specifically as one that might have the, um, the sort of the fortitude between the ears and in the heart. All of them have more or less, you know, I know you could, you could nitpick this. All of them have the talent, the technique to potentially win a world title, but it really comes down to as you know, uh, what's between your ears and what's in your heart, the sort of drive that you have. And he mentioned Carolyn Marks as one. So I, I, that was, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, she's like faking an injury to her ankle and she's gonna just opt out. But then when you read into it, you're like, oh man, <clears throat> that's a bummer. I think, she's, I think she's probably trying everything in her power to get over there. I do too. And I guess what I mean, my confusion was um, prior to that, that story i just presumed you're either on the flight and you surf on the tour or you're not on the flight and you don't get to surf on the tour and then immediately realized when this went down like oh there's no rational reason why she wouldn't be allowed to australia after she's been cleared of covid you know like she's yeah. actually it's actually not a bad situation she's not vulnerable and by the way she seems to be healthy and you know not 
uh, sure. her life. Yeah. She's not sick. Yeah. Her life's not threatened. So, but if you're uh, never been exposed to the virus and you're over there now, you do, there is a certain level of vulnerability and you're a wild card because of all the bad press that'll come with you getting COVID in Australia and potentially uh, infecting other people. So it almost feels like by virtue of Karen, Carolyn getting it here and then being able to travel after the fact, she's almost um, got a free, not a free pass, but an immunity, you know? Yeah. I, and then this brings me to the question, are these surfers getting vaccinated when they get to Australia? Is that part of the plan? I haven't seen that anywhere. You would think that would be a part of the PR if that was the case. Yeah. But you would think we spoke a couple months ago about uh, vaccination vacations, you know, right. or if you fly there, you get vaccinated. So why not take a vacation there? But um, I don't know what the situation is with that. 21 staff members, 21 staff members on that flight. That's interesting, right? So it kind of gives us some idea of bare bones staff that's required to pull these events off. Um, you know, in the past, we've we've said, gosh, if there's a way to kind of trim down costs, it seems like you could pull off a, uh, a webcast. Uh, I've never produced a webcast. I don't know how many it takes to do a really good one, but apparently 21 is the minimum required. I would, yeah, I guess. I mean, judges are the first thing that I think could be done remotely. We've talked about that in the past. There's no reason for the judges to be on site. And that seems counterintuitive. However, the, the problem with the current format is the judges experience something live that is different than what we experience online. And so there's a discrepancy as the viewer when you're watching something and they'll go to the head judge for an explanation and he'll say, oh, well, from the live angle or when you're live on the beach and you see these other things, that's, it looks different. And that's why they got the score. It's like, well, it, it, it makes more sense to have the vastest majority of the public reflect, you know, what, uh, what the judges are seeing or the way that the scores are going down, unless you can re replicate that for the viewers. So I think the judges could easily be, judging could be done remotely if you had enough camera angles and all that sort of stuff. That's interesting. I, I don't um, disqualify what you're saying, but I also would say, hey, I don't know. I could see how specifically just from the athletes, the surfer's point of view, if I was going out of my way, putting, you know, becoming a world-class athlete, doing what it takes these days to be on tour, something tells me that I would want the judges right there in front of me. And if I didn't get the score I thought I deserved, or if things were seemed a little bit kind of squirrely regarding judging, I would say to myself, well, they're not even here for God's sakes. Like they, sh you know, so I, I could see well, how it would be argued that, and cause I do think that, I mean, you and I have mentioned many times, Hey, if apparently if you were there on the beach and saw it in yeah. person, it was a different situation. And I think that is the case. You know, I, I think the real uh, drama of pipeline, and of course, then that brings into the question, should the drama of the beach at right. pipeline fall into the purview of what these guys are judging? But I mean, at the actual wave breaking, like the, the ferocity. So I, I, I can push back a little bit on that and be and feel okay about it. I do understand what you're saying. The thing that you mentioned that's interesting is multiple camera angles. And to me, immediately that means, okay, there's gonna be a lot of time 
spent scouring through and and trying to get as objective as you can. And what about the what about just hey, what you see is what you get. What you saw is what you got. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you're saying things could get squirrely once you're judging remotely. The problem that I think they're really trying to avoid is things actually get squirrely in person. Things get more subjective in person when you're subject to the beach's influence. And so with the NBA, for example, where they have a headquarters set up in Dallas, like an entire studio set up just to review plays in real time. So the judges are watching something, or I'm sorry, the um, referees in the NBA are watching something live on the court visually. They miss things. And so they'll make a call. The call goes to review in Dallas. They'll analyze all the different angles and see what objectively took place and make the official call. And so that's what I'm suggesting the WSL wants. What I personally kind of want is what you just said. Yeah, whatever happened, the pipeline like is dramatic. Let's play into the drama of pipeline and just whatever we saw on the beach, that's the gnarliest thing. But there's, it's impossible to translate that to any experience other than water level paddling out and witnessing it yourself. Even once you're removed onto the sand, it's very different than the water angle while you're paddling out, witnessing it. And so the WSL is trying to go for that objective version. And if they're going to go for that, then kind of the best way to do it is to do it. I mean, remotely in an HQ situation where there's tons of camera angles and you can review it in real time, like the NBA. Yeah. I I think that there's, um, I think that there's, you know, validity in both, both ways of doing it. You know, part of me is like, look, I know the judges when they're on site and they're not in competition mode, they're surfing with the surfers, they're out in the water, they're riding the same waves, they're getting a feel for what's happening with the sandbars or the reef or, I think there's there's a lot that will be missed if it's just remote. I'm not saying you don't do it. I totally get what you're saying. I'm oh, looking at it purely from a cost savings, believe yeah. it or not. And and then you've got to ask yourself, is the cost savings worth the integrity that we may be losing if we don't have judges on the beach? See, I think everything that you just said undermines the integrity. Like if the judges are surfing with the surfers, they're developing opinions on who they like, who let them get away. Well, they absolutely are. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that happens as much as, you know, when they go out to dinner. Exactly. As, as surfing, but. You can but eliminate all that. That's been happening for however long the IPS has been in existence, you know, which, since which 1977 why, or whatever it is. Which is why the judging is subjective, no matter how hard they try to make it objective. It's almost impossible. And so let me ask you this. If we do it your way, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but if we do it your way and we have the judges offsite remote, do we even tell the people who the judges are? Do we just go full blind judging? You don't know who these people are. And you'll never know, by the way, we're going to fully cover this thing up. It's a great question. Um, I don't trust them well enough to um, do it blindly. You know, like, I guess the reason why you would want to know is so that you can, um, assess the individual judge's level of integrity. You'd be worried that they're in there manipulating the situation. So that's why you would want transparency. Well, look, you can have that still within the, 
WSL. The WSL can still do evaluations on the judges without the public, or more importantly, in this case, the surfers, because what we're trying to do is remove the surfers knowing who it is so that they could or couldn't buy him dinner or buy him a drink or go surfing with them. You know, that's really it's more implicit. It's more implicit than that. Like, I don't think they're actually, the surfers are trying to uh, manipulate the judges. I'm just no. saying, and I know you're not implying, but my, if I'm a fan of surfing, I have the more that the more that I'm a fan of surfing, the more that I understand surfing, the better I will be able to judge surfing. Right. But inherent in all of that being a fan of surfing is by biases. Like I have my favorite surfers. I just like the way that John John surfs. I like the way that Jack Robinson surfs. So how could I not be influenced by that once I'm in the judge's box? How could you ever divorce yourself from these inherent biases that you have? It's impossible. And right. so, and what you might end up doing is now undercutting your favorite surfers or underscoring them because you're trying to act against your own biases. There's, there's just inherent emotion and sentiment attached to all of it. Right. Otherwise it's you want to be a fan of surfing. Which it, is it why totally surfing's not a sport. You need to score totally. your own points and have a defense and not be able to wear uh, casual pants while doing it. Um, well, look, I'm just saying, look, if you're going to put everyone in a box somewhere in, in Santa Monica because you're trying to remove the influence of the beach situation, um, you know, let's remove the influence of the beach situation completely. Let's make them completely in the dark, except for evaluation, maybe mid-season by, you know, by the WSL people. By the way, probably you could pay them a lot more if you were able to cut their travel expense, too. Probably. So the Rotnest event will be interesting in that it's a streaming only event. So it's not exactly what we're talking about, but there is um, a crowd on the beach removed. You know what I mean? Like there won't be a beach vibe, let's say. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it was at Pipe, right? Supposedly. Never though. I mean, because yeah, I guess Pipe is just such a dramatic wave. It creates, it's a, it's an amphitheater there. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if they remove so-called spectators there's still a million people in the houses screaming so exactly whatever. uh so caroline marks so this conversation was all about that flight yeah. um caroline marks isn't on the flight uh somebody we were talking about the wsl's <laughs> pricing per seat for the flight where economy oh. was 2500 bucks they're charging oh. the surfers 2500 bucks to fly economy i think it was six grand for business class um one of our listeners chimed in and said what if, if economy is 2,500 bucks, what are baggage fees? I'm sure baggage fees are included. You think? I do. I they don't, could, I think the, they could I think ream the, them. I think the charter, I think Qantas is like, look, special flight. Here's what they can bring. Here's the, here's the cost. Boom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Flat rate. Yeah. Well, if you just add up 2,500 bucks times the number of surfers, they don't get anywhere near their half million dollar uh, expense. Right. What about the other surfer that didn't make the flight? Kelly tested, Slater. He tested positive for an ankle injury. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Slater, who was injured at J-Bay, I want to say 2017, maybe. Yeah, um, he still had hair back then. Right. Yeah, he injured his ankle back then. He recovered from that and has been surfing on tour since then. Um, and surfed the Pipe Masters event recently and went mountain biking 
in the hills of Pupukea with Shane Dorian the night before his heat and actually went off a jump and ate it and injured his heels before the event and still surfed in the event is pulling out of the Australian leg of the tour due to a quote ankle injury from Jay Bay from four years ago. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Scott? Uh, you know, my thoughts are this is this is my thoughts on this are that it's it's so there's so much this looks bad is my thoughts on this this just looks bad you know like i sense and i'm not saying that there's dishonesty here i just sense that he like flat out is bullshitting us now, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not calling Kelly Slater a bullshitter or a liar, but it just feels like everyone's rolling their eyes. Not just me. The entire surf world is going, really, dude? You know, so all these he... things you just mentioned, and he's conveniently going, my ankle hurts? I mean, and I'm not saying it doesn't. The guy, that was a horrific injury, but it just looks bad. I'm just saying it looks bad. You know what I mean? Even, you know. So, so um are you implying that he doesn't want to go to Australia for other reasons and he's using the ankle injury as an excuse? I'm not implying that. I'm saying that's what it looks like. And what would he, what would have been the better uh, explanation for why he wasn't going to Australia? Well, does it, if, does it look if bad in no fact, matter what? If in fact he's not going just because, and I don't blame him, who in the hell wants to be stuck in us, you know, I don't blame him if, in fact, that's the case. But my the, the answer to your question is, raise your hand and go, hey, everyone, I don't want to be stuck in Australia for four months surfing crappy waves and blah, 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 and I'm out. But if yeah. you do that, you lose the wild card potential for next year. So the big thing I know, here's, here's the big thing on social media that I'm sure you're familiar with, is that this allows Kelly to get the wild card from the WSL next year. He'll be 50 years old. And he's going to do his victory lap that he's been wanting to do. He kind of wanted to do his victory lap this year. It's good for his brand. It's good for the WSL. It's in, in many ways, it's good for you and I, fans of Kelly Slater surfing, to see a victory lap. COVID took the victory lap year away from him. This gives him the option to go, please give me a wild card, an injury wild card, and I will do one more year and I'll be out of your hair. And um, it just kind of falls into the narrative. So if you raise your hand and go, you guys, I really don't want to do this. I've been doing this for 30 years. This is horrible and I'm out, but can I please, will you give me a free freebie for next year? You can't really do that and call yourself a legitimate surf league or, you know, sports, does, sports league. So doesn't a victory lap imply that you have to win? He, how about 11 of them? He's got 11. Since when? Since when he's been, he's, he's got been 11 doing... world titles. You're not going to give him a victory lap, a so-called Kobe lap, you know, like we're, yeah, all, all major sports athletes do this. Come on. No, no, I would have if he had retired on top. But now that he's been uh, slugging it out in the low teens for nearing name, a decade, name now, one sports legend that retired on top. Um, Tom Brady. No, he's not retired. No, he's no. Uh, I don't think he'll ride out. I don't think he'll circle the drain before he retires. I think um, there's one or two out there, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. They all milk it for too long and then go, Oh, victory lap. Um, well, so you, so him using the ankle injury story 
allows the WSL to buy into that and then offer the wild card, the injury wild card. The other thing is if he just kind of stated- I would go so far as to say they're complicit. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And if he had said the truth, uh, or you know then, the alleged no, truth, no well, victory assuming, lap for you. But not only no victory lap, but also like um, it calls into question the WSL's decision making. Like if their most visible athlete says, "I don't want right. to go go to Australia. The waves are crappy. Like it's just not worth it." Or maybe there's risk involved with COVID or whatever his reasoning is. Yeah. It then. It, lo- it looks like he's taking a stance against the decision makers at the WSL. So I feel like even if he wasn't vying for the wild card, let's say he just retires and doesn't do the wild card, this still would be the more diplomatic route to take than to kind of take a stand against the WSL's decision making. Um, I would like to say that I called this for the last three months and I, and I used Kelly specifically because thank oh, you. Hell. Thank you. Good work. Uh, but I use Kelly specifically because he, I see somebody like Griffin Colapinto, Caroline Marks, these young people, obviously like they're building a legacy. And so competing in every possible event, making every personal appearance, all that sort of stuff matters. Kelly has set up a bunch of other obligations in his life that going to Australia for four months would actually hinder. And especially if those four months don't equate with a quote unquote legitimate world title or whatever. So I think that is the decision-making the one caveat that I do have um, not only to what I just said, but even to what you said is this could have been his best chance to get that 12th world title. Like he finished third at pipe. He's sitting in third position right now, which is the best position he sat in in years. And um, the way, I mean, lowers is on the, is, Chopu is potentially on the schedule still. Lowers is all but confirmed. The wave pool he owns. He doesn't perform well there, but these are all events that he could do well in, in theory. And so all he's really got to do is lock down that Australian leg. And he's he's already in the top five. You need the top five surfers go to lowers. He's already in the top five. He hasn't been in this enviable of a position and good of a position in years. And so this could have been his shot at 12. Oh, that's a great point. The other thing to consider is that um, when thinking about my hypothesis that this was some sort of, I don't want to use conspiracy, but, um, you know, this was sort of planned out is something that you and I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, which is how are they going to seed next year's tour anyway? I think they're just going to take the same top 32. So he wouldn't need an injury wild card. He could just show up because aren't they just going to take the, the same top 30? I mean, how are they going to fill the back 10 from the QS if there's no QS events? Great question. We don't know. And they have not spoken on that. Yeah. Well, so, maybe, maybe this speaks to that. Maybe this speaks to them going, Hey man, we're doing some QSs and we are going to fill the bottom 10 with some, with whoever makes it in the QSs. And so you should take an injury wild card. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I, I got one uh, thing from, from a guy on Swellnet. He wrote, Hey, I can't blame Kelly Slater for not coming to Australia. Hang with 50 other pros plus associated flotsam and jetsam at B-grade comp waves, which he doesn't have a competitive advantage, or go wherever the hell he wants in prime season and score epic waves like he seemed to do in 2020. I'm pretty sure I know what option I would take. That's from a list from a, a uh, social media 
Agreed. Fully, it makes perfect sense. However, if your eyes are set on winning a world title, this could have been your best opportunity. Hey, right now, as we speak, these guys are in quarantine. Like, I don't know what day it is. It must be like day nine or something like that. No, it's like day three. They must be going crazy. I know there's a lot of fun stuff on on social media these guys are posting because they're literally by themselves, right? Well, I'm talking to them for the podcast today, later today. Who are you talking to? I've got Lakey Peterson's already scheduled and um, Connor Coffin just needs to return my text message and then we'll get that one done too. Oh, cool. That's great. So, That's super smart because they're probably got nothing better to do. So you're going to find out what's going on. Um, I saw some stuff of Lakey. She looks like she's, I mean, they're all working out, right? They're all trying to stay busy. Um, but what I need you to do is find out what they're really doing. You know, like we know what they're doing on social media, but we want to know what they're binging, you know, like, yeah, I'll find out. Are they eating like Lorna Dunes cookies? (laughs) Yeah. That's my, my thought was like, look, these guys are captive. They let's talk and we'll, I want to get a couple this week and a couple next week. And then, um, but it looks like the WSL did a great job by the way, in terms of outfitting everybody, um, the hotel rooms got a kitchen Everything looks really nice. They put those training bicycles. I don't know what brand they gave them, but like a Peloton type bike in everybody's room, which is no small expense. No. I don't know if they're training for a bicycle race when they get out or a surf contest, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, yeah, it looks like everything looks as nice as it could be for a two week stint in a hotel. I hope that you get Jeremy Flores. He would be the guy you want, you need to get. Because he's, yeah, he's on tour. Not only is he on tour, but his family's on tour. So that's why I'm thinking you need to get Jeremy because he's, he's going to be at 14 days with his family. They're not allowed to leave the room, right? Like they can't go down and get ice from the ice machine. There is such a fine line between your favorite thing in the world and the most annoying thing in the world. (laughs) I mean, family is all that exists in your life, except if you were stuck in a hotel room for two weeks with your kids and your wife. I mean, how nuts would that be? Yeah. Yeah. His his kids can't be with him. I mean, are you No, They are. They are. And, and here's what's even heavier is that to just to get to LA, Jeremy Flores had to fly like 36 hours before he arrived in LAX. You just, did you watch the video on the WSL? They had this like boarding, this, this basically like we're getting on the plane kind of video. Follow us, follow us on the flight, you know? And Jeremy Flores and his family, and they're just like, at LAX, they're just like, his wife's like, move along. Like, she wasn't like, yay, we're getting on the flight. Everyone else is like, here we go, you know? And so they're like, oh. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't land in LA and then stay in LA for a bit. They just went straight from. Oh, they may have stayed. I don't okay. know exactly, but I know he had a hell flight just to get to LA. Right, right. But that would have been a nightmare turnaround if they didn't stay in LA. Yeah. Either way, it's a bit of a nightmare. Totally. Um, man, I didn't realize you were allowed to bring your families. I thought you were only allowed one companion. 46 family members of the 34 surfers, there's 46 families. So I saw at least two different babies. Um, he got more than I his, think Felipe, than Felipe's family showed up. And, hmm. and, uh, as I mentioned, Jeremy Flores had his, hmm. his wife and child with him. Well, um, are you excited for the survival league kicking off yet again? I had no idea it's kicking off. I know because you lost at pipeline. So oh. <laughs> oh, that's what they need. A, they need to fucking wipe the slate clean. Let's go. I'm ready to go. Uh, aren't 
I thought there was some sort of a loser situation that you could get back into. Do you remember? There, or did you? There needs to be. You would have gotten the email, not me. So, um, <laughs> do you want to do you want to hear the heat draws for round one in Nui? You know what? Before you tell me the heat draws, I'm going to give you my pick for Survivor League. You ready? Yes. Crosby Colapinto. It's a great pick. Except he's not in the rest of the league of the year, so that doesn't make sense actually. Now that I think about it, because you want somebody that's actually no, that doesn't. Matter. All you want to do is survive the event. Yeah. So Crosby, I like Crosby wild so card. Crosby got in as a wild card. Um, now Crosby is definitely elevating through the ranks. His like he's an unbelievable surfer, but does he have the competitive prowess to take on the C tiers? Well. I thought you were going to go a different direction. That's a great question. Let's answer that. But first, let me say, how in the hell did Crosby Colapinto get a wild card? Not that he's not a great surfer, but they just randomly looked around and went, Kelly's not here. Who do we plug in? Is Crosby he's, a rip curl rider? He's a rip curl that athlete. Oh, okay, yeah. that's why. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. Then he's on, going, he's yeah, on the ahead. ascent. He's on the ascent in terms of his profile. He and oh, uh, sure. Griffin are like they invested heavily in the vlog during Hawaii and yeah. they gained a bunch of followers and stuff like that. So I think rip curls looking at it like, Oh, we got to capitalize on this. Yeah. No, it makes great sense. I didn't, they didn't mention that anywhere. You know, they, right. they're just like, he's ripping. So we're going to put him in. And then I'm like, he must be a rip curl surfer. Yeah, he is. Um, and by the way, he totally is ripping though. I, I, it's easy to overlook him because Griff, but you watch his surfing and it's like, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. 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 He, and he rips on a longboard. That's right. It's, that's Corey. Oh, that's Corey. All right. that's anyway, Corey. Um, the Colapinto clan, they're incredible servers. Does he have your question? Does he have competitive prowess? Um, I think you could probably answer that question better than me. I'm not familiar with like Crosby winning the NSSA opens and surfing through the team season. You know, is he that guy or is he just like free surfer guy? So, I don't know. And that's why I wouldn't put him on my team is because I don't have any of that information. And even if he has done well at that level, that rarely actually translates to the CT level. There's, yeah. there's no, dozens and dozens and dozens of NSSA um, national champs that yeah. floundered on the CT on their first year. Here's a great question. Name the last NSSA national champ to win the world title. Andy Irons, maybe? Probably. That's probably the good answer. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're um, Rip curl. So, so Crosby is who you're going with. So yeah. can I read you the heat draws real quick? Sure. It starts uh, April 1st. So actually we have a couple of weeks that we could review this, but um, it really, the waves are what's going to determine whether any of this stuff matters. I guess it'd be a little bit tedious to sift through all of the heat draw. Um, I don't you know, know what maybe... you're looking for. Here's what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy that you're looking for a Kanoa Igarashi type. That's of what surfer. I was just going to say. Maybe a type Kanoa of surfer that absolutely, no matter what, will will just like study and strategize the shit out of the surfing conditions and go, I'm going to surf that beach peak right there and do three top turns on the left and kick out into the closeout shore break. And so you need somebody that's super thoughtful about it. Not necessarily technique. They all have that. But I really think that you don't want the type of guy that's like, I don't know, I'm just going to go out there and try to catch some good waves, you know? <laughs> so what you want is somebody who could win a QS event, like has exactly. that kind of style of surfing, yeah. but has CT level 
savvy, proven savvy competitively. So somebody like Jadson, Jadson Andre could win a QS event, but I'm not sure that he's going to like, you know, win a CT event. So I wouldn't include him. Um, same with Alex Ribeiro, you know, like great QS style surfer, but not necessarily going to go head to head with a Chloe yeah. Andino or a Griffin Colapinto, but yeah. Kanoa Igarashi is the pick. He's won Huntington a couple of times. Yeah. He's the pick. I agree. That's okay. a good call. All right. All right. I'm glad we got this sorted out. Yes. Adriana DeSouza is in the draw, by the way. Really? Yeah. Is this is his victory lap this year. Um, like, again, this- again, I hate to state the obvious, but don't you have to win? <laughs> Let's call it a swan I mean, song. I only say that because, because, I remember seeing a like some PR that his people put out, like yeah. maybe whoever it was at Billabong, or I don't even know who sponsored him, but somebody put something out like, "This is my final year. I love doing it." And here, you know, I thought that this was his final year. Yeah, it is, but it's a swan song, you swan know, farewell, song. farewell year. If you're ever to not going to do well in a season, it's when it, it's your swan song season. <laughs> well, I called it. You can mark my words. That is my prediction. <laughs> okay. Um, fair enough so let's one more final thought on kelly yeah based on that listener feedback what do you envision kelly doing like there's no chance that kelly slicks slips into the background while while the world tour is over here and the surf media spotlight is over here there's zero chance that kelly slips away and uses this time to quietly you know heal his ankle He's going to do something to direct all of the limelight back at him. So what is Kelly going to do? Well, since he's not allowed to surf because his injury, his ankle's injured. Right. I mean, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. (laughs) That's pretty ballsy. If he just like puts out the most insane edit from G land or something. Totally. Totally. (laughs) That would be incredible. Like, Hey, this is part of my training regime. (laughs) Surfing G land. You know what he should do? He should go on a surf trip to all the spots that didn't run on the CT this year. So he should start out at sunset. <laughs> <laughs> he did do a sunset section and then do a Santa a steamer lane section. And then the closing section is G land. That would be so good. I don't know. He's, I don't know, but this is my answer to your initial question. What yeah. is Kelly going to do to drag the limelight away from the WSL and towards him? And, and I, and I preface that by saying, well, he can't surf, right? Because that would be wrong. So it's got to be something outside of the realm of riding waves. So I'm suggesting to you that I think there's going to be some sort of announcement about the wave pool. And it might be that they've begun construction at that um, Palm Springs, Charles Schwab Sun thing that they're doing together. I forget the name of that one out there. I've got it somewhere on my notes, but. It's um, it's in desert La Quinta. high villas. It's, or it's in La Quinta, yeah. It's, there's a name for it, but I bet that they kind of go like I wouldn't be surprised if there's groundbreaking to begin, you know, like one of those type of PRs or or you know, um, new, you know, two point one version of Kelly Slater Wavepool to go in at the Schwab Resort that we're building in Palm Springs, like something like that, some business thing that's kind of blowing up. That, that might might be a way to do that. Um, I envision a lot of guitar noodling on Instagram Live. Songwriting, 
Is that singing. enough though? To, to... No, it'll come oh. in. It'll come in a in a addendum to your press releases that right, you're talking exactly, about. Yeah, there'll be the a bunch release, of little things. Yeah, press release will go out, and then that night it'll be like, "Here's a song I wrote about moving to the desert or something." By the way, one of the coolest things I saw was: Did you see the post he did where he played golf with President Obama? Yeah, a few weeks, uh, months ago. Yeah, a few months ago. That was yeah. pretty insane, right? That was pretty cool. So do you think he actually played a round of golf with Obama or Obama was on the course and he just stole a moment with him? I thought that they played golf together. I don't know. but I don't think so. Well, maybe you're right. Um, maybe. I don't think it's as uh, like random as he happens to be on <laughs> obama's on hole eight and kelly's on hole nine it's like hey obama come here i think it's more <laughs> organized than that they probably but obama was going to play that day so they either sh rather than shutting down the course entirely it's like a limited number of people who are allowed and they have to be vetted and kelly they're on the north shore and kelly's part of the group that was allowed right. on the course that day that's right. probably more realistic yeah. but i don't think he was um in obama's foursome oh Wow, I fully bought into them playing a. Well, Obama a, was on the run, right? Together. I mean, Kelly's standing there, like posed and like planted in the in his position, and Obama's like walking by and like leaning in, kind of craning back. So it seemed like Obama was on the move, you know. Oh, I thought there was some other thing where they shared a playlist together, and there was some musician that they both really liked, and apparently Kelly had turned President Obama onto this musician. Oh, and now Anderson Pack. President, yeah, Anderson Pack and and President Obama's daughters are now were big fans of Anderson Pack, and so now President Obama is, or something like that. That's what the post was. You're right. He was like, "Hey, Anderson Pack, look who I'm here with," or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I introduced you to that album back at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center like five years ago. Um, I need to be reintroduced to that. I would like to to check that out. I'm getting bored with my music. Um, are you? Yeah. I mean, you can only listen to the doobie brothers so many times <laughs> well apparently after you burned out the almond brothers for 30 years then the doobie brothers were next in line <laughs> who are the other i need another set of brothers exactly <laughs> <laughs> or sisters you know what i've been listening to kenny burrell jazz guitarist okay I, i'm not I'm really familiar. digging it i'm really digging it you've heard him a bunch of times you probably oh, once okay. you heard his style of guitar playing you'd be like oh yeah that's easy listening jazz sunday gotcha. morning jazz with my love gotcha well we've got other topics to get into but what? um you don't this, want to talk kenny burrell this <laughs> is about this is about the normal time for your pee breaks scott do you want to you want to cut to commercial wait a minute those aren't pee breaks oh they're not no i'm going out to, i gotta feed my dog oh yeah. i misunderstood Usually he's like he's like barking at me the stance that you took when you were scurrying out of the room just made me think that you were holding. Let me show you that stance, okay? I got a sore back. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. It hurts to get out of this chair. <laughs> All right. I got Fred Sanford back, man. Pickleball back. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Is that hurting you? No, I've actually, no, I've been doing some other workouts that I think are kind of tweaking my back a little bit. Bummer. Sorry to hear that. That's all right. Um, are you keeping up with Arc Method? I'm just doing my own like version of it, you know. Like I, I pulled some of Taylor Knox's exercises that they gave me, and I've just been, I, you know, the thing about, and this is actually part of Arc Method is the 
I've been told, and I'm no expert, the best way to exercise is to mix it up. You don't want to just run every day. You want to run one day and then you want to do like yoga and then you want to do some sort of like weightlifting and then you want to do what, you know, jumping or, you know, it's, you got to mix it up. The body wants, you know, your body, your muscles will get used to the same activity and you want to be able to stress your muscles out so that they're, they're kind of going, what are you doing to me? Yeah. I'll tell you. So I, I told you I was doing wave key am doing wave key and I'm doing the one-on-one coaching with Brad Yeah, and that creates a level of accountability that I've never experienced before. Cause I've never yeah. gone to a gym. I've never had a personal trainer. Yeah. And even when I was doing the wave key, just like the regular version where you get on and you on the website and you watch tutorials, if you go a day or three without doing it, nobody notices, nobody cares with this because Brad's taking 40 minutes to give me this detailed instruction after reviewing my footage. I feel like I need to actually heed his advice and then also practice his advice because next time we get together, he'll know. And I'm going to have to send him footage that either shows that I did the thing or I didn't do the thing. And so it's making me, it's creating a level of discipline in me that I've not experienced through, uh, physical, like kind of workouts before I have discipline for heart, for working and certain things, but not when it comes to exercise. So I'm yeah, accountability is really crucial. There's yeah, no doubt about it for sure. Um, um, yeah. So I've got a good, a feel good story for you. If you'd like. Okay. Do, do you want to feel good? I feeling pretty good already, but let's, it's not about me. I'm sensing, I'm sensing a tinge of cynicism. Really? Good. 98% good. 2% looking really? for a moment to seize upon. But we'll read, <laughs> well, we'll read this, the case. We'll read this story <laughs> and see if that is true or not. Okay. Uh, Bruce's beach is going, is potentially going to be given back to the Bruce family. Uh, in 1924, 100 years ago, Scott. The city of Manhattan Beach used eminent domain to force Willa and Charles Bruce off their land where they lived and ran a resort for black families. So this is the South Bay of Manhattan, the South Bay of Los Angeles, Manhattan Beach, um, where our beloved CEO of the WSL lives. And this family bought the land for $2,000. They were among the very first black landowners in the city. And the city used eminent domain to force them off their land. The land is now owned by Los Angeles County and houses the county's lifeguard headquarters and training center. Supervisor, current supervisor Janice Hahn is talking about giving the land back to the family. The family paid $2,000 for it 100 years ago. It's currently worth $75 million. She says they're also looking into options um, for leasing the property from the Bruce family. So giving it back to them, but then leasing it back so that they can have their park and the lifeguard uh, admin center there. Um, They're looking Manhattan Beach residents. Kavon Ward has been petitioning and raising awareness about the history of Bruce's Beach. He said, we need to pay for the stripping of generational wealth. This family would have been wealthy. They would have been, they would have passed on the wealth to their children and other family members. Manhattan Beach could have been more culturally diverse. There simply would have been more black people here. And again, the Bruce family was running um, a black resort, not 
exclusively for, for Blacks. It was because of segregation. So it was the only opportunity they had for a resort. And uh, so that is the feel-good story is that the supervisor is looking at giving it back. Hmm. That's hmm. interesting. It's a very interesting story. Right? Isn't it? Is that the 2% of cynicism that I predicted? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if you look at it from a 30,000 foot level, right? Are you setting a precedent that every bit of land that you took back because of eminent domain, you now have to pay? And can people point to this case and go, well, you paid them. Why can't you pay me? And if they raise their hand and go, well, we did it because they're African-American, then somebody's going to go, well, here's a lawsuit because that's racism. Totally. And that so is, it is setting a precedent. It, it's, it's, you know, like, so from, uh, I was looking at it when you're reading and I was thinking legally, what are we doing here? You know, do, um, do you and I think that, um, that it would be the right thing to do ethically and morally, given um, what sort of uh, horrors the African-American community has gone through in the United States from slavery all the way up to, to this day, to George Floyd? Yeah, it'd probably be cool. To, I would love to see a family get you know, reinvigorated fiscally because of land that was taken from them. Um, but um, legally, I, I feel like somebody's going to go, oh, yeah, you know, some lawyer is going to go, oh, yeah, well, then we want our money for our land that you took from us in 1918, you know, and before you know it, 100%, that I is, hope that's, I hope that's not the case. It is setting a precedent. I think this is a unique scenario um, where, again, precedent will, people will use this to do what you said, but this specific case is one where that land is available essentially. It's not like there's 300 families living on that land now who actually paid um, fairly or legally or whatever for it 20 years ago. And they're going to then get well, upended. I think, and, a lawyer, I think a lawyer could pick apart your argument. How is this land available? Isn't it? Isn't it uh, isn't there's, it, no re there's no residences on it is all that I mean. The lifeguard oh, well, yeah, admin center is there matter. and it's a park. What, so, the, what the what the owner what the new owners of the uh, property did with it has nothing to do with the fact that my client exactly um, no I get it point, yeah I get it but I'm just saying it's easier to unravel or to make the ethical argument and to return the property than it would be if there was 300 condos on it you know what I mean I disagree with that I, I disagree with that I think if there's 300 condos on it and you could point to a precedent where the county purchased you know gave the land back. You can be like, it doesn't matter what the, right. if there's 300 condos or if there's a, just a swing set on it, it doesn't matter. My clients was ripped off. Yeah. In this case, it's easier to untangle than if there were 300 condos, but for the precedent yeah. argument, yes, of course you could use that argument. I mean, and behind this whole thing is um, first of all, obviously the family is going to become wealthy instantly, which is great. Um, but they're more or less using the, the, and I don't know, I'm put, you tell me, aren't they using the argument that, hey, this is going to reestablish um, lost culture and lost significant history of African-Americans in Manhattan Beach that was taken away. And so let's, is there argument, let's just reinstate that, the fact that there was a vibrant black community here that was ripped from us by the county. Uh Yes, but it's not the family that is making that argument. It's local activists and the supervisor. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's their point is like, let's reinvigorate. Yeah. Let's, let's tell this, that 
basically a bunch of rich white people in Manhattan Beach, because that's what the South Bay is. I mean, it's just, you know, more or less a bunch of wealthy people. And I would suggest to you that 90% of them are probably white or maybe some Latinos, but whatever. I, There's a, some I'm going Asian down a rabbit there, hole, but, but yeah. yeah, whatever. But I don't know where I'm going with this. I better shut up. <laughs> My point is, is that I'll shut up now. <laughs> yes, I get your point. Um, do you want to do a stark left turn into a very sad situation? Yes, I saw this. This is horrible. Brutal. Um, on Saturday afternoon, a surfer died after a collision with another surfer at Southern California's famed Queen of the Coast, Rincon. Yeah. Um, Jared Jerry Gilher Jr., he was a 51-year-old Ojai resident, had been out enjoying a large run of swell when an accident occurred around midday. Witnesses said that he was up and riding, going down the line when he hit somebody attempting to, quote, roll under the wave. <sighs> So when I read that roll under the wave, it makes me think of the um, longboard move where you like turtle, where you like turn the board over and try to get under the wave that way. That's what it seems like. Back to the story. The other surfer had his head and nose cut by Gil Hoyle's fin. Gil Hoyle went down, but after his wipeout, he did not seem, uh, or he went down, but his wipeout did not seem remarkable. Just seemed like a standard wipeout. Other surfers watching the situation remember seeing Jerry was uh, in trouble. So they paddled over to him or they paddled him to shore on his board and provided medical aid until the Ventura County lifeguards arrived. They also performed CPR while requesting a helicopter saying that the patient was in cardiac arrest. He was taken by ambulance to Community Memorial Hospital in Ventura where he was pronounced dead. Uh, from all accounts, he was a very competent surfer and this just seemed to be a freak accident. Um, and that lineup is so crowded that there are these collisions all the time, but Jerry was totally competent and hit the other surfer and something went bad underwater. We don't yeah. know exactly what the injury was, but. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation around how this went down, what happened. And I'm sort of on your side of the equation here where I just feel like, you know what? Um, First of all, there, we need to see what the autopsy suggests, because the autopsy suggests that he had a heart attack, Widowmaker, and it was going to happen whether or not he happened to run into this guy or not. In other words, it was just that time of the day. when. But certainly you, you could also suggest that, look, this may have um, created enough stress in him to kind of kickstart the heart attack happening. Um, or some have suggested tide super low, it was a low tide that afternoon, and maybe he hit his head on the on the bottom, which is why we need an autopsy before we really figure this out. Um, some of the social media out there is suggesting that, you know, if there weren't so many people, he wouldn't have died, which, you know, all right, then don't go surfing, you know, like, I mean, you know, well, don't go to Rincon, you know, like. How many people have, I mean, there are so many accidents every day right now, as we speak, somebody's getting cut off at Rincon. It just, so eventually somebody's going to die doing it because there's just too, you know, like, I don't think that they're necessary. I don't know if they're connected. I know it's interesting, right? It's kind of a nebulous argument to make because you're blaming an amorphous crowd. There's, you're not blaming an individual. And so let's actually unpack that. Uh, is there culpability for the other surfer? No. Okay. No, you you go in the water, you go in the ocean, 
It's dangerous. Okay. You could die every single time. If you don't know that, you're a kook. Okay. So if the other surfer is in fact a kook, let's say uh, didn't know how to duck dive. And so they actually created this scenario. Is there then culpability? A novice no. surfer not knowing what they're doing, getting in the way at an expert no. spot. No, there not isn't. expert. But... It's wrong, okay. but he's not culpable because you as the surfer realize there's 150 guys out at low tide Rincon and you made the decision to go out. And if you don't think that there's a bunch of kooks out there, you're a kook. I'm not gotcha. saying Jerry's a kook, but look, yeah, you yeah. got to assess the situation. I mean, believe me, I've driven away from 150 guys out at the Cove because I just didn't want to deal with it. So then we're in agreement. I'm in agreement, by the way, with you that the other surfer is not culpable. And I think should, I know that there was like uh, people asking for him to come forward. And so hopefully he did because he's not culpable and just sh share what you know about the si situation so that the family can have as much information as possible. But beyond that, so now the reality is with the rise of the vow that we've experienced through COVID, I do think <laughs> things like this, <laughs> it's going to be the next Star Wars film. The rise of the vow. <laughs> um, the rise of the vow we are going to see more situations like this. I think not just collisions. We're going to see drownings. We're going to see, I mean, the last winter. Did you say drownings or drownings? Drownings. Yeah. So last winter when I was in, what do you got? Oh, a guitar pick. Ahead, was that getting in your way? Yeah. Uh, last time I was in Hawaii, I could not believe the people that I saw paddle out at Pipeline. You know, just complete kooks. And thankfully the lifeguards there are the best in the world and they usually prevent people from hurting themselves, but there's no lifeguards on the beach at Rencon. There's no lifeguards on a lot of beaches and some of the most kind of scary waves in the world. There's no lifeguards. So Good. I could easily see death, the death toll rising from incompetent Val surfers. And Jerry yeah. wasn't one of those, but yeah, the guy that he ran into could have been, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't die. The good surfer died. Right. But I'm but saying... It's sad, look, it's a sad situation. I think Jerry has a kid on the way or something. No, he's a three-year-old. Yeah, that's horrible. I mean, it's it's a sad situation. Totally. Um, it's a bummer, you know. Um, will, there, will, will there be a rise in deaths as we see a rise in vows? Um, it's almost yeah, inevitable. But I, yeah, it's, just, it's almost like, you know, you put more people into the pot and you're going to have some anomalies that, you know that occur more often than they had in the past. So I wonder if that'll actually um, reduce the numbers. Like if there's a number of headlines, because there were, I saw in, in some comment section somewhere, there was two surfers in Japan who died in the last four months um, because they were out of their element. It wasn't a collision. It was just, they were out of their element. Yeah. And so I could see enough of those headlines to where, no. no, I don't think so. I think, I think people are idiots. <laughs> And um, it doesn't matter how many headlines there are. You know what would stop it is if, is if a municipality or a city state or a lifeguard department or somebody got sued. And then they went, oh, some lawyer for the city went, oh, we're getting sued. You know what we need to do? We need to, start, we need to stop this from happening. And so there would be some, this is like the beginning of them legislating the surf line and legislating our surf spots. Don't let and it happen. Don't let it happen. I think the less lifeguard departments at surf spots, the better. 
make it rough and rugged and tough. And that's what surfing is. Go to a wave pool if you want a lifeguard. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like wave pools are even more dangerous (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. But they have lifeguards. Exactly. Um, are you following, speaking of dangerous, are you following the Billy Kemper saga on the W on the world? Oh, but I got a really good, um, (laughs) I know me too. I got, did you get the same take I got from it's perfect. Yeah, it is. It I don't have perfect. it in front of me. Why don't you read it? Cause I wanted to read it. I thought should it was we, epic. should we give him a shout out or no, I don't think a shout out. No, I don't oh, think okay. so. He'll okay. tell me if I don't think he wants one. He's a friend of mine. I don't think yeah, he yeah. wants. Okay. He said takeaways from the Billy Kemper mini documentary. Number one, wait, wait, set this up. So this isn't you and I, this is from a friend of ours or a listen. Actually, this guy's an avid listener from he's been listening to the show since I was on the radio. Yeah. And border boardroom show exhibitor. Yeah. Friend of the boardroom show. Yeah. Um, So we're talking, of course, about the six part documentary series produced by WSL studios airing on worldsurfleague.com featuring Billy Kemper, Billy Kemper. The name of the series is Billy Uh, part three. It's airing weekly, I believe on Sundays and part three just aired this past week. And this listener chimed in and said, takeaways from the Billy Kemper mini documentary. Number one, this should have been one 25 minute long edit. This is 2021. I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone, let alone four weeks ago. Number two, Billy is a dead ringer for Billy Joe from Green Day. Are we sure he's not the same person? Number three, always, always, always buy travel medical insurance for surf trips, ideally with a solid medevac policy. And number four, the state of Hawaii's education system remains atrocious. Adults should be able to conjugate basic verbs. Yeah, pretty good take. I, I haven't watched it. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that some <laughs> there were some talking heads from Hawaii who are having problems putting together sentences, which, by the way, I need to raise my hand and say that could be me. I'm, I'm not sure I conjugate verbs very well myself. Um, look, it's a funny take. And... Yeah. I'd say it's largely accurate. Like, yeah, For that's sure. It could have well, been one. It could have been twenty minutes. This thing. Right? Each each episode is twenty minutes. No, but I mean, no, it's they grueling. It down. Yes, they yes, boiled it down. yes, 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 one hundred percent. But the funny thing isn't just his jokes. I think the more kind of uh, salient point is my four main takeaways. Meaning, there's nothing of substance in the actual sixty minutes that we've sat through up until this point, yeah. you know, I think that's actually the more kind of, uh, to the point. What did I see? I saw something, I was scouring beach grit and I don't know if Chaz or Derek wrote something about Eric is Eric Logan. Like, does he have a part in this documentary? Yes. That's the what joke. are your thoughts on that? That's the joke that I made to you at the beginning of last week's episode. Oh, You're like, yeah, it. what about, what about the CEOs who always put themselves in the spotlight? You know, like, Jeff I didn't Bezos. even catch that. And I, I was like, Oh, that. like the seat, like, talking about Billy Kemper in the latest documentary. Uh, see, I haven't watched it, but yeah. so I, a couple things like, first of all, tell me what happened. <laughs> what did, what did Eric Logan do? He's just one of the talking heads. Like throughout each and every episode. He's like, yeah. yeah is- be, okay. It's relevant though. Is it? Okay, so there's, yeah. there's a reason why he is. And it's okay. Because- well, that's important. That's all I wanted to know. But he wasn't crowbarring himself in there. Well, no, but they could have had other people fill the exact same role that he's filling. You know what I mean? So there's, I'm sure if Sophie Goldschmidt was the CEO at the time that this went down, she would not have been, Paul Speaker would not have been on the camera. Like they would have just, and by the way, Pat O'Connell was there explaining the same exact thing. Uh, 
so they had Elo cut to Pat, cut to Elo. That Pat right. could have done it all. Like there's right. a lot of CEOs who would have deferred. Right. Um, but ultimately, Billy Kemper sustains a really bad pelvis injury in Morocco after yeah. a wipeout, and yeah, he's stuck in a hosp and he's stuck in a hospital. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you're, you're boring me. No, go ahead. I'm just stuck kidding. in a hospital with yes. inadequate care. And COVID is coming on. So all so the WSL is concerned. Billy and his family are concerned. And by the way, he's like, whatever they um, assessed the injury to be, it was worse because he was having an allergic reaction to the medication that they didn't know at the time. And he was like, couldn't breathe. So he actually oh. thought that he was going to die. And he called Koa. Smith was there. He texted Koa and he's like, come. And he conveyed that to Koa. I think I'm going to die. So they go into panic mode. And so the WSL, um, they, Billy was not able to be transported. He needed to be laying down at all times. He couldn't even get into a wheelchair. So one of the options was to charter a flight and they actually could remove the back 20 seats of the plane to then lay the hospital bed back there. That was an option, but flights were being canceled because of COVID. So that was not an option. So the WSL actually chartered a private jet to go pick him up flew him out. And then at, he was literally coming into California. They got him in Canada, but then he was going to go from Canada, refuel, come into LA. And they were closing airports like every hour because of COVID. So he was scheduled to come into Los Angeles. They cancel that flight. They scheduled to come. So then they divert. Okay. Well, let's land him in Long Beach. Long Beach shuts down their airport. They were shutting... <laughs> shutting down airports entirely were, were we so shutting they, down airports i don't remember we them shutting down airports maybe yeah. flights but they weren't well they, were closing? They, they weren't approving the flight to come in okay. i don't know watch the documentary i don't know the exact wording yeah, you, I'm but counting on you but um ultimately they finally got him in i think through pasadena or some tiny tiny airport allowed him to get in and he landed. <laughs> pasadena so, international yeah, exactly. Oh my so, well, it's a private jet. So I don't yeah. know, different rules apply. But ultimately, Eric Logan, the reason why he was on to answer your original question was to explain those details of the right. airport closures and that sort of thing. But Well, a couple of things. Let me just real quick say this. Um, I think a big shout out, and I don't know if it occurred in the documentary or not, but it probably a big shout out goes to Dirk Ziff and his family. I'm sure they're the ones that stepped up to get that private charter approved and through. And so my hat's off to them for doing that for Billy, because I think um, that's a big deal. And I know that they're pretty anonymous. I'm sure they didn't want that to be disclosed, but they probably deserve some kudos for that. Yeah. And I was even wondering why the WSL, look, it's uh... Billy Kemper is not an employee of the WSL. Right. right. Like I was kind of surprised to see them jump through so many hoops, presumably at their own expense to yeah. rescue Billy from this situation. And it, well, he is one of their huge athletes. I mean, you know, like world tour Bi Billy Kemper's time. there's probably, you know, only eight or nine CT surfers that are, have more, um, sort of public domain than Billy Clout. Kemper does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty well known. Yeah. Well, he's got a six part documentary made about him <laughs> named, named after him all about how badass he is. So yeah, he's pretty, pretty badass. I'm a big fan of Billy Kemper's. Let me ask you this. Uh, 
what was the thing on beach grit where they're saying eric was crying or something like that is that just just bullshit yeah i mean they're just poking fun at oh, okay at him using the word gnarly to describe oh. billy and yeah oh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's a non-story yeah um do you have, what else you got i've got musty moment i've got a duke um let's see what else do i have i guess that's all i got uh, my must see pops into my brain here oh the rip curls they did they signed a three-year deal with the wsl for the rip curl wsl final so they'll be holding that final event for the next three years will be rip curls oh just like outer known had the has the uh, fiji event <laughs> yeah exactly the I, I same as way that. more uh, way more faith in claw warbrick and neil ridgeway though well, it's not that Outer Known backed out of the deal. It's just that the tour schedule shifted and Cloudbreak's not on anymore. And I could easily see this is a temporary, this could be this uh, running everything on one day at one venue and that venue being lowers could just change next year. Yeah, but they signed a deal. I mean, they yeah, so did, so did Outer Known. It was the exact same headline. Well, I'm just saying that I, I'm, I'm suggesting to you that Claw is a, He's a very crafty guy. And I'm sure that the deal they signed is going to be good for Rip Curl. That's all I'm saying. 100%. I have all the faith in Rip Curl. This has yeah. nothing to do with Rip Curl. Yeah. This is the opposite. Um, right. But I'm glad to see it. And by the way, I said from, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, kudos. Rip Curl is killing it in the time yeah. of COVID. Like, no, no, for sure. Co- Rip Curl is gaining market share buying things for pennies on the dollar. There's been no brand that's been more savvy through this time than they have. So kudos to them. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I'm a fan of free scrubber. I'm a fan of postcards from morgues. I've gotten into so many Tom Kern is goat debates with people and I end up losing most of them because everyone's, it's hard to argue against Kelly Slater being goat. And every time I throw something out, let's just sort of, um, sort of like that doesn't have any teeth like yeah but tom kern's just look at him surf j bay you know like people yeah. are like dude kelly slater's one why man he's one Maver- he didn't win yeah he did win mavericks i think or he got second one year um you know he doesn't you know like it's like kelly slater's body of work it, he's kind of tiger woodsy you know like he transcends surfing there's i mean there's tom does not do that tom but that's why i personally i i i'm Tom Kern's goat because you know he speaks to my generation and he's but anyway so I've been getting in debates is my point yeah, I've been losing them my point is that debate doesn't matter who wins and loses what they don't realize is that they're identifying themselves to you like you're finding out who your true friends are the <laughs> I, I, I said to you last week that that conversation is more about uh it says more about the person than it does that Kelly Slater is better than Tom Kern. It says more about the person who's making the argument. And if they're dying hard on their sword about 11 world titles matter and here's the statistics and whatever, then you're like, nerd alert. Like <laughs> you don't even know. No, Tom you're Kern calling does. Chris Morrow a yes. nerd and you're calling Sam George a nerd. Yes. And because you're calling like four other people nerds. Yes. hundred percent nerd alert because look what, <laughs> look what Tom Curran does with his hands. Exactly. That's why. That's exactly. why. That's all you need to know. Yeah. He found a free scrubber on a beach, people. That's that's, that's actually that been my final statement. Whenever I do the debate with people, I go, dude, he found a free scrubber. Okay. Like, like end of convo. 
And then once they're not listening to you anymore, tell them the story about not cashing the $10,000 check. Uh, the funny thing is those guys told me that, well, Sonny Miller told me that story, but yeah. I mean, Tom plays drums and rips on the guitar. Come on. Yeah, Kelly Slater. He's gonna be Only writing plays songs. Guitar. He's gonna be <laughs> writing songs for Instagram Live, which Tom Kern would never do. Never in a million years. Oh, uh, my must-see moment is Dane Reynolds part nine on chapter 11 TV. It's his latest edit. He wrote a big soliloquy as well uh, beneath it that's worth reading. I always enjoy reading Dane Reynolds writing and the video features uh, old footage that we have not yet seen. Some from Mexico uh, when they were down there filming the electric acid surfboard test, some from Panama. It features his Ventura buddy, Matt McCabe, Goofy Footer Matt McCabe and it features Dane Reynolds surfing and it features Andrew Doheny. Surfing's amazing. It's exactly what you want. That lo-fi aesthetic from chapter 11, cool music, great surfing, hardcore, like old school surf edit. So go check that. I'm, I'm glad that there's some writing. What I've found is that I'm, I'm getting more, he's kind of got a Tom Kern vibe because I'm getting more, uh, I'm more drawn to Dane because of his intellect and because of his maturity and because of um, a side of him that maybe you don't see when he's just ripping Ventura beach breaks, you know? Um, so, you know, more power to him. I think his, uh, there's something there that's, he, I you know what it is. He's just mature. Yeah. Like he, I wish I was as mature as he was when I was his age, you know? Yeah. So anyway, good. I'm a fan. I'm stoked, too. To, see it. I'm stoked to see it. I'm stoked to see it too. Um, we have Must I also, see moment. Yeah, go ahead. I have a Duke. Duke? Mike Eaton. Oh, man. Good one. Mike Eaton passed away this past week. Um, we're losing him left and right, Scott. It's really I unfortunate. Know. Scott so, Anderson, Phil Becker, Mike Eaton, all within like a month. I know. And so it makes me think about the surfboard industry and how many um, talented craftspeople are passing away who um, there's a real opportunity for people to learn the craft under them before this happens. There's a real opportunity for you and I to interview these people and to kind of get their stories out there um, while they're still around, you know, it makes, it almost puts a fire under my feet and it makes me think like, God, there needs to be a trade school. There needs to be like a legitimate trade school for training shapers, glassers, sanders, because there's so many, especially laminators and sanders who are retiring and there's no young kids coming up to work in those factories like there used to be when I was a kid, you know? You know, I was talking to a, um, somebody, well-known well well shaper. And he was saying, you know what? If I was younger, what I would do right now is I would go down to Ensenada and rent a building and open a glass shop, a big one, you know, like a 30,000 square foot, 100,000, whatever, a large building. And I would just train the labor force to glass surfboards and sand them. Cause you could do that, you know, relatively quickly, get the, get the, get the building up to speed and you'd be killing it. Cause what's happened here in California is that the larger glass houses uh, have contracted there's what you have is a bunch of small individual guys that maybe have, you know, I don't know how many square feet, but small buildings. Right. And there's a, there's a few dots of them. There's a bunch in Oceanside and there's a few in San Diego. There's probably a bunch up in LA, Santa Barbara, throughout Southern California. 
and in Santa Cruz area, but it's just, um, there's not one big massive like diamond glassing type situation. Like a lot of these places have just closed up shop and that's why it takes 12, 18 weeks to get a custom surfboard right now because there's just, they're just maxed out. And if you go down to Mexico and do it, as soon as this bubble ends, assuming it's going to end, you can just pull the plug on it. You're not locked into some six year lease or whatever. And you know what I mean? And half like, million dollar build out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's what this guy said he would do. And I go, well, why don't you do it? And he's like, cause I, <laughs> I've got my own gig. I'm getting, you know, like he's, he's too old to pull the plug to pull the trigger on that. But yeah, yeah I think you're right. A trade school, but again, it's like, okay, we're, at what point does the bottom fall out of this thing? And there's just a bunch of trained guys that are going, Hey, I got trained and now I don't have any work. Right. Well, Mike Eaton, um, I didn't realize this. I read this on the encyclopedia of surfing, but he was friends with Tom Blake and he used to transport Tom Blake's heavy wooden board down to Palos Verde's cove using an army stretcher customized with a pair of rear mounted wagon wheels. Did you know this? I don't know if I knew this exact story. This it's is a, a good, good story. It is. But Eaton began shaping surfboards in 1995 for wetsuit magnate to be no, no, Jack no. O'Neill. 1995? No. Oh, I, I did read that wrong. 1955. Yeah. I apologize. Um, out of Jack O'Neill's San Francisco garage slash surf shop. In the late 50s and early 60s, Eaton worked as a whale trainer at Marine Land. And not until 1960. Marine Land. Do you remember Marine Land? I was just going to ask you if you knew where it was. I know where it is, but I do. Yeah, okay. I went there when I was a kid. I don't know if it was even open, but I went to the building when it's I was a closed. kid. Yeah, it's yeah. been closed a long time. Um, but uh, it was not until 1965 that he became a full-time shaper, working simultaneously for Bing Surfboards and Rick Surfboards, both located in nearby Hermosa Beach. He said in 1998 that at that time he was going full tilt, shaping 20 boards a day at times. In 1970, he introduced a wide-backed square tail version of the twin fin, which had burst into popularity in 1971 and 72. And then in 73, he produced a uh, really widely regarded but unsuccessful uh, version of the Bonzer, the very first three fin surfboard. In 1974, GNS, a GNS ad shows him, uh, or it shows an eight foot two Eaton made quote fun shape and asserts that 80% of all surfers would be better off with an eight foot board. Probably we're, true. I mean, that well, is true. We're seeing the rise of the mid length right now, like the resurgence of that exact sentiment, you know? Yeah which is kind of funny to see yeah. Um, 40 years later, but he crafted some of the finest big wave guns in the seventies. Eaton produced surf, uh, Eaton produced longboards sold in even higher volumes uh, in the 19, in the mid seventies. The Eaton label was founded in 1978 in San Diego. And by 2002, it was estimated that he had made over 50,000 surfboards. Paddleboards were, entered into the line in 89 and Eaton himself competed five times in the grueling 32 mile Catalina classic paddleboard race. He entered the race for the last time in 2005 at the age of 71. Oh my God. Pretty incredible. 
That's in, gnarly. In 2008, he shut down his factory and moved to Hawaii. His autobiography, A Design of His Own, was published in 2018, and he died last week of a stroke uh, at the age of 86. Well, one of the cool little anecdotes about him, too, is that he he got PT onto the Bonzer. Those guys were riding three fins. And PT, Mike Eaton wrote PT a letter that had the dimensions and the design specifications of the Bonzer. Eaton sent it to Queensland. PT then sent that letter to Western Australia to Ian Cairns. And Ian built a Bonzer just off of a letter, took that board to Hawaii the very first year in 1973 and uh, won the Duke. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That's a story. On a Bonzer. Amazing. I feel like, yeah. did he post, Ian post a photo riding that Bonzer at Rocky Rights recently? That was a different board. That was a 5-3. Oh, okay. Can you believe Ian Cairns is riding a 5-3 surfboard, man? Ian Cairns at the age of eight was too big for a 5-3. <laughs> that's cool. Well, Mike Keaton's a full-on legend and an icon of foam and a guy that's probably deserves more credit than he's getting, even though he's getting a lot of kudos. People who know, know. It's one of those things, you know. Duke and Dan Mann, all those, a lot of San Diegans are just, you know, saddened and we're extremely inspired by Mike Eaton. Yeah, I lived a great life though, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what about um, the Andy, the stab Andy thing, right? I'm loving part it. Part two. I'm loving yeah. it. Here's my thoughts on part two real quick. It felt a little bit like, well, here's what's what I love about it is that this version of the Andy Iron story, at least part two, was really about the surfboard. You know, yep. it, this was about the love affair that surfers have with surfboards. Yep. This was as much a story about lost surfboards as it was about Andy Irons, at least yep. version two. Yep. You know what I mean? And I told um, you that. And it's what it's really what is the boardroom is all about and the California gold surf auction is all about is that we are so closely tied to what we ride what we wear doesn't matter soft goods you know whatever our surfboards are the vital length to what we do and what we uh, aspire to do and and how we identify ourselves. And it's the surfboard that are the important points on our timelines as surfers. You couldn't do it without surfing. You could do it without, or without the surfboard. You could do it without everything else. You could do it naked. I want to want to. What about, about Foo Wax? How about Foo Wax naked? That would be a problem. That would be a huge problem. That is why we're thrilled to have Neat Essentials. But <laughs> you are entirely right. Um, you can't do the act of surfing without a surfboard. Yeah, so part two is much about, um, you know, Lost as it was about Andy, I thought. Yeah, remember I was saying that to you last week in that yeah. there's kind of a, the historical context is what is certainly in episode one, but and episode two as well. They're talking about this movement that took place and a lot of it was showcased through loss, Lost and Andy was one of the figures in that and even if he wasn't the central figure in the film, he didn't get the most screen time. Chris Warden and, and Corey Lopez did. He was the central figure in their peer group in a lot of respects. And so that's what they kind of unpack. And yeah. uh, 
They do a great yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been fun. I even, I sent Ashton a text saying, Hey, I poo pooed this thing about three months ago and I'm wrong. I'm really enjoying this thing. It's super good. Did he reply? Uh, he, I don't think so. No. Big timed. Yeah. Totally big time. Well-deserved big time, by the way. <laughs> like I'm getting big time by Connor Coffin right now. No, he's sleeping. Yeah. All right, Scott. Great show. Thanks. Neat essentials. Always. We didn't mention them much today, but they're always with us in spirit. By the way, I want to do mention quickly the boardroom show presented by us blanks taking place October 9th and 10th at the Del Mar fairgrounds. We're super excited to be ramping up. It looks like 2021 is going to be a big turnaround year for everyone, for, for children, for students, for teachers, for life, for live events, for live music, for trade shows. Um, go out and be a part of each and every one of these things and, and start to celebrate life. However, right now, be careful. We're, I'm still wearing a mask, even though it seems like we're getting over this thing. Um, now is not the time to be uh, you know, careless. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it'll be a celebration. Can you imagine the boardroom show in in October just reconvening with everybody? Just be like, well, good to see you. What the heck? How do we end up here? Everyone's flush of cash. We don't even have boards. We're just here. <laughs> you can order one. It'll come in six weeks, six months. There'll be a booth with like a guy that's starting a trade, some sort of trade, trade school. Trade show, trade school. Trade I school, like yeah. it. I like David it. David Lee Scales School of Trade. Everybody just smoking cigars and drinking expensive <laughs> whiskeys with all the money they earned off building boards in 2020. Yeah. You trading, know, funny. trading stocks right there in front of you. I do want to somehow do something for... The, the shapers that have passed away recently. I don't know what oh, that's that means. A great idea. I'm not sure what, how to do that, but those three guys we mentioned, Scott Anderson, Phil Becker, Mike Eaton, I don't know, but it feels like they deserve something. A great we'll idea. Yeah, we'll see. Who's the honoree? Pat Rawson. He did a Pat Rawson live on Instagram this week, and I happened to just be scrolling Instagram and saw him, and I chimed in and checked it out. It was actually really cool. Was he playing piano or what was he No, doing? he was shaping. Oh. He was shaping. And here's the funny thing, and I hope Pat catch, I'll send him a text, but every time he started to talk to tell a funny story, he would start sanding. And so you couldn't hear what he was saying. He'd be like, <laughs> he would stand there and like hem and haw and look at his tools and wouldn't say anything. And then he'd pick up a tool, start sanding, and go, well, last time, and then he'd stop. And he'd pick up his plane or wouldn't say anything. I'd be like, now's the time to talk, Pat. Now is the time to talk. And he'd turn on his plane and go. Classic Pat. Yeah. That's was, so it Pat. Fun. It was fun. He'll, he'll fix it. That's Pat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, good. Until next time, David. Adios and aloha. A bird with a word came to me. The sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do A bird with a word came to me The sweetness of a honeycomb tree now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned 
learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do I'm repping for the longest cycle mm. My uncles had to pay the cost mm. My sister used to sing the Whitney mm. My mama caught the gambling bug mm. We came up in a lonely castle mm. My papa was behind them bars mm. We never had to want for nothing Said all we ever need is love mm. We see the same thing We sing the same song We feel the same grief Bleed the same blood You grew up in the home beside me I always had a friend to call How could I make it here without you? Mm. I pray I leave before you go Sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient roots I choose to follow what the greatest do A bird with the word came to me The sweetness of a honeycomb tree Now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through. I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do Was a farmer, mm. Papa was a goner. 